kitchen is a magical place where everything happens. The alchemy of food and the human interaction. It is the most visited place in every household. Every single conversation of love, of life, of family revolves pretty much around the kitchen counter at the dinner table. Trans PV Kitchen is a substream of the popular transgender point of view on Joy 94.9. Hosted by Anastasia Lee, a passionate cook and a food scientist. Please pop into our kitchen to listen to some humor, swapping for a few recipe ideas, some tips and tricks, or just simply having a company when you cook in solidarity. Welcome to another episode on Trans PV Kitchen and this Anastasia. So in the room today, I have a dear friend of mine, Cal Hawk. Yeah, well, I guess from a, a, a couple of different things. I mean, we first met actually at, speaking of, uh, you know, baking and kitchen stuff, we actually met at a bake-off. I think, no, I think that was a first I think I, I saw you way before that, though. I think oh, I, okay. I had met you at um, Chill Out maybe two or three years ago. You were doing some promotional stuff for VAC, Victorian AIDS Council. Oh, maybe. Like, you See, had... I thought we met at DT's Bake Off. No, like, I think you gave us, like, some brochures and oh, condoms. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, I asked my friends, like, what is this American guy doing here? <laughs> and then eventually, I think later on the, of the same year, I met you at the Bake Off. At the Bake Off, yeah. And then we both properly got to chat, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I did. I migrated here from America um, nearly 15 years ago. Because you told me how you came here in 2005 and mm-hmm. like, towards the end of the year. Yep, that's exactly I, I, right. I came around around that time too. I came in like, I think, October 2005. Yeah, I was August, I think, 2005. So yeah. very similar time, very yeah. similar so, time. Um, yeah, and um, surprisingly, like, we do share like a lot of things in common. Like yep. we're newcomers in Australia and trying to find our, uh, our mark. And make our life here, yeah. Down under, you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So Cal is an employee for Thorn yeah, Harbor Health? Yeah, so I work at Thorn Harbor Health and um, and then of course I'm on Joy as well, uh, presenting Well, Well, Well with our team there, um, which is sponsored by Thorn Harbor Health, which of course, as you mentioned, used to be the Victorian AIDS Council and we had a bit of a shift recently yeah. to be more all-encompassing actually. So, yeah. yeah. Which is nice. And I think that's the direction that we should go because, you know, the focus has always been on men. Women and non-binary individuals do suffer from all of the wounds and scars yeah. that the AIDS epidemic sort of you know, struck on them? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, with Well, 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 I got to do a legacy series recently where I talked to a lot of people that were early on that response. And I mean, it was such a big epidemic and obviously it's a major health issue. And, and HIV and AIDS aren't over yet, yeah. but we're now doing a much broader broader uh, portfolio of health stuff and so uh, we kind of needed a name that reflected that because we've got projects in South Australia and Victoria so Victorian didn't work anymore and you know when we talk about AIDS really in Victoria we're mostly talking about people living with HIV very few people thankfully um, due to treatment these days progress to an AIDS defining illness and so AIDS didn't quite fit uh, what we were doing as well and so this new name which is actually named after two um, activists and you know health advocates so Alison Thorne who was the lesbian activist that spoke up to form the council back in 1983 and then Keith Harper who was the only president who died living with HIV. Yeah, it's just, um, I was so, I still remember the, the launching night and I, I was so moved by the trailer you guys made. <laughs> and I actually still go back to that trailer from time to time on YouTube, I think. Is oh it yeah, it is, it's, it is on YouTube, um, yeah. Yeah, and then it moves me to tears because it somehow reminds, because I've been obsessed with this documentary on Netflix. Okay. And it's um, about the life of Marsha B. Thompson and yep. her murder. Yep. 
those documentaries, I feel like we should have more of those out there. Mm. It, it teaches the history, the rich history of, of the people who actually started the whole movement. And it, I was I, I was so moved by that trailer and, you know, how it was as if I was living through that timeline. Yeah. Look, you know, doing our history recently for the 35th anniversary for that brand shift, <clears throat> it's one of those things that I think being a migrant, having come to this country, you come in with a mindset of curiosity mm. and kind of understanding how did we get to this point mm. um I, I i don't know if everybody shares that at least at least from my experience coming into another country i kind of went okay i want to kind of understand what the history was or what was the story to get us to this point um whereas i think you know maybe sometimes when you're born somewhere you sort of take it for granted i mm. mean um, you just sort of assume oh yeah i kind of know but i, I don't necessarily yeah. choose to engage with it and um i think we can just learn so much because there's you know, especially our LGBTI elders, they have so much wisdom to offer us exactly. to avoid making the same mistakes and to help us advance, you know, where we're all going. And, you know, that's the thing is, is even though across our communities, like our LGBTI communities, we may all have different sort of agendas. Mm. The fact of the matter is, I think we're all moving in the same direction or hoping to move our society yeah. in the same direction. And um, we get a lot of power out of each other and when we move together. Yeah, mm. I do agree with that. But then, like for me, I came from Southeast Asia. Mm. And then so, for some reason, I still see Australia and America to be like very much the same. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they are in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and when I first moved here for my first five years that I worked here, I worked for an American abroad program that was based in Australia. And I think on the surface level, part of why so many students use, went to the Australia program is because they assumed, yes, Australia speaks English, Americans speak English, that's straightforward. You know, they have dollars, we have dollars. But once you live here, I think that with time, once you get past those real, those really rudimentary basics, mm -hmm. you start to see the differences mm -hmm. and you see conceptually or how the Australian view of themselves and the rest of the world is different than the American view of themselves mm -hmm. and the rest of the world. I think in America, because um, it's, it's a scale of things, America is so big and there mm -hmm. is a fair amount of diversity from coast to coast. Oftentimes people are just trying to keep up with what's going on within the country that they never really think outwardly. Mm. And Australia is the opposite. It's an island. If you want to go anywhere, you got to fly overseas because <laughs> yeah. nothing is adjacent to us. And so it has an out more outward looking perspective. But then in saying that, uh, that's not true of everybody or their outward facing perspective can somehow still... It's not to say that it's necessarily always open-minded, mm. but I think the, the the viewpoint or the point of view that goes out that way is, is different than the U.S. So I think I think it is. I think they are very similar in a lot of ways, but the when you dig deeper into the mentality, you start to see some pretty significant differences. At least that's mm. what I found. You know, in my. 15 years here yeah. yeah well just so you know Kel is a cisgender white man yeah this is right <laughs> and well right. on this show we have no problems with that <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah it's just that you know for me I've I always think that um I, and I still think so that America and Australia they are both like their country is built on dreams mm. and you know and built on creed and a and a rich history of murder mm. Uh, that's my yeah. That, that's my perspective on it. Yeah. Um, ha having said that, at the same time, I understand that America is more. I feel like Americans are, m are more patriotic, mm. and they can be quite self-absorbed 
sometimes. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you hear kind of like during the Olympics and stuff, you hear yeah. the USA, and I, oh, I'm always cringe when that happens. But um, yeah, I think you're right to point out too around the migrant aspect to America because, and this was true of my mother's family in particular, because mm. um, my grandparents, or, or rather my great-grandparents, um, migrated through Ellis Island, which was a very common thing in the 19th mm. century. And you know, unlike Australia, where we had white Australia policy at one point, um, mm. which is, you know, pretty um, dreadful and mark we were, on mark It was on the quite history. recent as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, whereas the U.S. for a long time did offer this idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you could make your own life there. Mm. Um, and and it, it's funny because at the same time that you have this possibility for anybody, there's been, yeah, a huge history of discrimination um, as well. So it's it's such a interesting dichotomy. It mm. really is. Um, but you know, uh, it's, it's funny that, you know, I talk about my, you know, few gener only a few generations before me migrating from Europe, from Greece and I, uh, Poland, which is where my mother's family's from, uh, to then me kind of pulling up stumps and then migrating here. And mm. I guess to some degree, I don't really have any interest in going back to the States right now, especially not in the current climate. Oh, well, yes. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. And so can you like, you know, with your own perspective like can you explain the whole anti-hispanic movement right now within the government I, over there? you know it's so it's so foreign to me in some ways because i haven't lived there you know i haven't lived there in 15 years nearly it's it's yeah I, I just i i i to some degree i can't explain it because i i just don't i don't um share that view at all yeah. and, it, and it's such a, a funny one to me no less because culturally people accept so much of the hispanic culture mm. um i mean if you go to different parts of the country you know if you're in florida or if you're in texas or if you're in southern california i mean they're well incredibly integrated mm. um you know it's funny when I, I came here to australia you know there wasn't really there is not a lot of latinx like here there's not there wasn't very i mean now there's mexican food everywhere but when i came here for instance that was one thing i really missed yeah. um you know i i that was just a, a, a cultural infusion that was in the u.s in so many different places and it wasn't here at all um and i don't i, I don't really get the mentality around that that sort of anti-hispanic nature it, it's almost the exact opposite that i was just saying before how you know america has this rich history of always being open to immigrants mm. but i think that i don't know I, I almost feel like it's as we've become more global of mm. a of a society um fear has yeah. it, it's overwhelmed a lot of people and i think that's really probably what's a, at the root of that yeah. is probably a fear um a fear that you know we won't be able to, you know, the, the, the U.S. won't be able to handle this onslaught of people or that um, we are, the, their identities will somehow become less. And I, I, think it's, I think it's an unfounded fear and a really unfortunate one. It's actually fascinating that, you know, it's the people with the most powers have more fears than any of us. You know, it's, mm. inter it's very interesting. But then at the same time, I guess there's, there's a streak of, you know, dictatorship there. Mm. Because they don't want to deal with the unknown, and what if the unknown sort of you know overthrow them after throne? So I think they yeah. should be more afraid of the unknown that's sitting within p the positions of power at the moment. Well, because yes. as much as they think they know them, I don't think they really do. Just like the politicians in Australia right now, like you know, with all the the coup and you know all the backstabbing. So yeah. it's, it's very fascinating. Mm. And then you know, since we're in the kitchen, and I know you have this sort of fondness for Mexican food or. 
Yeah, Mexican absolutely. Yeah. Would you like to share anything with the audience? Well, I mean, I definitely love Mexican food. Coming over here, I, you know, had to learn to do it myself. Um, it was it was funny because when I first came here and I was looking for Mexican ingredients, I actually would go to Indian markets or Indian <laughs> grocers because they would carry them. That was the oh. only place I could find like Goya products or adobo or you know, ch- you know, um, you know cans of chipotle or tomatillos um and yeah that's and that's where i went um and so there was a place called the fiji market i think it might still be there back in enmore in sydney that i used to go to um and that's where i'd get my tin tomatillos and pay like ridiculous prices you know in back in texas when uh, my sister lived there for a while and when i stayed with her for a couple summers i could buy those for like on sale for like a dollar a tin and here i'd be paying like eight dollars to get them because they were such a rare ingredient yeah yeah but thankfully you know now that there's a lot more mexican food a lot of that stuff is really easy to get um but then a lot of the stuff you only just need one or two ingredients like my house salsa that i make um you only need one or two things that are kind of hard to find. Mm. Everything else is basically just fresh veggies. So it's your mm. capsicum, your onion and whatnot. And that's my favorite thing is to probably make a huge batch of salsa mm-hmm. um, and have that just at the ready in the house. Yeah. It's yeah, absolutely wonderful. Mm. Okay, mm. now I would love to hear more about your salsa. What's <laughs> in it? What's in it? Well, look, some of it is luck. So if I have my garden going, uh, some of it will be whatever has grown. Mm. Um, so you've got, you know, capsicum. So your red and your green capsicums. And it's great to get both just so you have that vibrancy of color mm-hmm. and then of course you have coriander or as i grew up calling it cilantro yep. um is in there uh you have uh onions you've got garlic um tomatillos if you can get them which are basically they look like you know unripe green tomatoes and oftentimes mm-hmm. they're um in a can like in a liquid so that actually they're incredibly soft yeah um and then to- tomatoes and the thing is like if you go to some of the grocers now they do like the odd bunch mm. where it's like a bushel of like the ones that don't look beautiful but yeah. when you roast them who cares exactly. like get them and you can buy them in bulk and great price and basically you get all of the veggies you rub everything down with olive oil mm. and a bit of salt and i tend to take like cloves of garlic and actually press them into the center of like uh like uh of uh, soft tomatoes mm. or inside of capsicums and you put it make sure everything's covered in oil and you chuck it in the oven 200 degrees celsius um about 20 minutes or so or until everything is really roasted you don't want it to scorch it but you mm. want to roast everything and um yeah and then you can and then basically you take it up it's i sometimes take up before i had but when i first came over here i was very poor you know yeah, <laughs> coming I out of university we, we all were, yeah so. exactly so i just used a potato masher until i basically pulverized everything now i use a food processor but you know when i first got here at 2021 20, or whatever i i just mashed it with a potato masher on a tray mm. um but uh yeah basically just blend it all up and we also too when you put it in you put in some sliced onion mm. is great but then i always have like a, another like white onion diced that's mm. raw um and that helps that once you've pulverized everything and mm. it's all made into the sort of that nice salsa um and also too of course you put chilies you roast the chilies as well but that mm. depends on how hot you like it i find australians and a lot of my friends don't like it as hot as I like it. Yeah, they're just chickens. <laughs> they're just chickens. And, and I love, like, if you can get... And, and that's the thing is sometimes I'll find habaneros, so habaneros go in. Sometimes it's just jalapenos, oh, habaneros, and that's yes. fine too. Uh, you know, if you can get a, get a hold of a ghost chiller or something like that, chuck one of those in there. But yeah, then once you pulverize it and you got everything down, you add a little bit more olive oil. Um, you add a ton more salt. People love the salt. It makes it really good with like kind of beer and whatnot and as well yeah. in summer. Um, but yeah, you chuck it all in. You blend it up. Um, there is usually like a pinch of sugar in there as well. Mm, Some just people, to balance out the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the tartness from yeah. the tomato. Yeah. yeah. And, that's the, and, and you can 
some people use agave instead of the syrup if you're kind of paleo. I know that's sort of uh, a paleo yeah. solution. But um, yeah, basically, once you do it, then you can put in, you, you put your raw onion and you put your uh, fresh cilantro or coriander in there. Um, you can put a few, like if you're going to put, uh, I recommend too, if you're going to put some onion in there, maybe put red onion in there as well. Give some more color as mm -hmm. well. Get a little bit of purple in there. Um, and then you basically just let it chill. It is lovely to have a little bit when it's still all warm. Yeah. Um, but then once it goes into the, you know, once you put it into the fridge or whatever, it's beautiful cold. Um, mm. It's just great. And I can just sit there with a bag and eat way too much of it. So you would have it with um, tortilla chips. Yeah, tortilla, white corn tortilla chips, which now you can get. Yes. When I first came here, you like your only option was like cheese covered Dorito ones. And I was like, no, that's ruining it. Um, whereas now you can get white corn tortillas. You can get blue corn tortillas. If you can find blue corn, that's my favorite, actually. Yep. Um, people kind of think it looks weird because it looks purple. Yeah. But blue corn tortillas are great. I think it's, you know, a selected um, fancy woolies and coals. You do have those yeah, yeah yeah or you can go to south Melbourne market yeah and they have, would have it would you ever add like whip ass sauce into your salsa applesauce no whip ass like this is oh yeah brand of whip ass. Like, i've never heard oh you know what there, i think i have heard of the hot sauce that's like that there's a ton of them that are like that like you know they are in the shape of like a mexican cowboy-ish kind of thing and then yeah. they have different degree of hotness yeah i've tasted them and they they are quite amazing it's just um i like the packaging yeah yeah fair it's, enough it's really funny so, and then what else would you serve the salsa with? Well, I mean, you can use it on, I mean, you can use it on tacos. You can use it in anything else once you've sort of, once you've made it. The other thing, actually, if you want a, a nice thing to do as well, is you can actually take, um, if you want, like, to make it a breakfast food, if you want, um, mix it with cream cheese. Um, just a little bit of it, and then you can actually use it as, like, a, like basically a salsa spread. Um, and then this is very American as well because in the morning, like if you have a cream uh, salsa cream cheese spread, you have it on a bagel, which of course, yeah. you know, I grew up in America's Northeast and so we had a really strong Jewish population and so bagels are really, mm -hmm. you know, common. Um, and they're starting to become more common here, but that was one of those things that was hard to find when I first, uh, you had to go to the Jewish neighborhoods to yeah. find a bagel here. Interesting. Mm. Got around to taste this before. <laughs> your place? I mean, I've been to your place. I think twice or thrice. I've yeah, I'll have to make it in summer. I think. I think oftentimes you've been over like spring, Quite springtime. Yes. 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 And so oftentimes I haven't made it yet, or my garden hadn't been growing yet. Oh, so that's the yeah. thing is sometimes I kind of get inspired when stuff is actually showing up at the end yep. of summer. Now these are an Aussie thing. You mm. know, like how they would put pineapple in, on. On top of pizza? Yes, yes, of course, yeah. Would you ever make like a, a pineapple salsa or like a mango salsa? I have never done it to date. And they do they do mango salsa here. I, I don't think I'd ever had mango salsa until I, I came to Australia. And pineapple, like when I when I first came to Melbourne, um, so I'd already lived in Sydney for several years, I actually ended up um, managing a Mexican restaurant because this was in the height of like the Mexican food craze in Melbourne when everything first started opening up. Mm. And I did manage a restaurant there. And our, and our, our head chef, he, was, he actually was Mexican himself, but he had lived in different parts of the world and had been a chef at the Mexican embassy, I think in Switzerland and a couple other places. And of course, pineapple, they do use in tacos al pastor. Mm. Um, so that's like pork and pineapple um, tacos. That's incredibly common. I'm not the biggest fan of using hot pineapple on hot food. I'm never a Hawaiian pizza kind of person. Okay, um, yeah. But I mean, I would, I would never say never. And then it's just, just that because recently I went on YouTube and I watched Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon, yeah. The, uh, like the late night show? Yep. And Kate Blanchett was introducing him to like a few burgers. And I've realized that you know, Aussie, they have very interesting food that nowhere else in the world would offer. Like they, they would put like beetroot. 
Yeah, yeah. And onion relish in their burger, and then yeah. some some you know some runny egg as well. So. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. It's very intriguing. And then at the same time, because you know, like food and clothing and politics, I, f- I feel like they all go together mm. because all of our lives are influenced by them. Mm. And then to think of it, like you know, we right now in Australia, we're so anti-immigrants, but at the same time, it's the immigrants that really provided us this sort of rich cultural background uh, yeah i mean you're Clean. absolutely right yeah. there's this there's this huge embrace of different cultures and the different foods that they bring and the different influences and like how they inspire art and culture and and all these other aspects that we readily embrace but then when it comes to actually letting people you know come into the country formally mm. uh, suddenly people put up all these walls and it just i don't know it just doesn't make sense to me and and especially in australia where we have so much space yeah um you know well i guess because i guess you know, the argument is that we have so little level space like only 30 percent or like 40 percent mm. of the land we have uh inhabitable uh, habitable, yeah. but it's still the even even the habitable land space and i mean we've got new innovations that make areas much more habitable mm. i mean Everybody sort of gravitates to, you know, Sydney and Melbourne and the other cities are starting to grow, but there's still plenty of room. Exactly. Um, there's still tons of room, in fact. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just think, I, I mean, and the other thing is, too, is that I, I guess you could say that, I, you know, it, it's tough for me. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an Australian Amer- or an American Australian. Um, I have dual citizenship now, but, you know, I did migrate here as well. So hmm. for me to think, yeah, let's let more migrants in, yeah. well, it would be hypocritical for me to say otherwise. I mean, it's more like, you know, if the indigenous people did not stop your boats arriving here like yeah. years ago, then you shouldn't have the, the right to say that you should stop these boats either. You You're know? absolutely just, right. And that gets back to what we were saying at the beginning is understanding your history. And the fact of the matter is, unless you are part of that indig- one of those indigenous communities, and there are so many of them, there just, were hundreds of them. And it's just astounding. It's just, um, you know, because recently there's a research saying that Australian indigenous culture is one of the most ancient civilization it, really. yeah and yet we still mistreat these people like you know, they, they're like the living books of, uh, of humankind mm. and we just keep mistreating them and maybe that's you know what and maybe we're solving the world, world's problems right now maybe what we're figuring out is that the reason that there are some people who don't trust other people coming into their country is because in their cultural past when they went into another country they took over and they push people out. And maybe there's this innate fear that if we let other people come in, they'll come in and they'll push us out. I mean, it's silly, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's what it is. But, um, yeah, it's people really should understand their history when they when they think about their view mm. on other people coming into the country and what that cultural exchange really looks like. Because, yeah, historically speaking, you're absolutely right. Unless you're part of one of those indigenous communities, you're essentially a migrant, too. Exactly. Yeah. And then one last thing before we conclude our wonderful show today. Well, so since you're a cisgender white man and part of the LGBTIQ community and from America, what do you think of all these murders involved um, trans people, especially trans women of color? Yeah. Um, do you think it's the gender that got them attacked or it's some other reason? I mean, I can't, I, I can't speak on behalf of, uh, I suppose especially women of color and like well communities of color kind of in the especially in the US there's incredible statistics around um, 
yeah, the murder rates amongst trans women of color um, in particular. Mm -hmm. um, there was actually another website, which I can't, I cannot remember for the life of me right now, but an amazing infographic that actually showed um, the stories of trans women of color and the, and really how uh, ubiquitous, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, homicide was amongst that, those populations. And I'm not sure really what the reason is. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's probably an element of fear there mm. um i think there is probably an element of um sexism I think, yeah i think there's sexism but i think it i think it really is rooted in fear in a lot of ways i think it's people are afraid to confront their own things of you know their own feelings and thoughts of attraction mm. um i think that there might be because oftentimes you do hear that oftentimes you know for a uh, trans woman of color that oftentimes they're they're likely to know who their assailant was or who their mm. murderer was mm. and i i think maybe that might be because the person on the other end was afraid to confront i, ha I may have feelings for this other person but maybe doesn't know mm how what that means about them who they are and it's yeah. challenged their view so it's also toxic masculinity as well yeah absolutely and i mean look it's, it's complicated and i i certainly can't offer uh, a great insight into that perspective because it's so foreign to my own yes. um but you know i think it's i think it's something that we need to be talking about that we need to be sharing those stories mm. um and that we need to recognize that this is not good enough and yeah. that, that we need to be addressing this. And I think, you know, we trans women of color, they've been the frontier of, you know, LGBTIQ movement mm. around the globe. I think it's time for the rest of the community to really stand up for them. Like, mm. you know, like this morning, I went through my Facebook feeds and I saw another murder of, you know, a Hispanic trans woman and yep. by, I think, like US custom border agent. And then the police misidentified her. Mm. And yet they still claim it's not a hate crime. So for me, it's um, it's very <laughs> yeah, it's like my own kind, you know. Yeah. And I actually, I was just talking to um, there is a with regard to uh, uh the Australia, the Human Rights Law Center. I actually just spoke on Well 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 a uh, week before last mm. to Lee Carney, and they were saying how, um, in this report, yeah the fact that people don't report all of those details don't really capture um, gender trans and gender diverse individuals in the police reporting it has skewed how we see you know crimes mm. whether or not they could be considered hate crimes or just considered uh generic homicides if you will for lack of yeah. a better term um and we really do we need to integrate that into those systems yeah. so that we can get a better perspective on this so that we can mm. really deal with it head on and also you know these are just like reported cases that's exactly right you know so the numbers are higher. Um, yeah. I'm quite sure the numbers are higher. But then, yeah, well, we, who are as a community, I, and I guess, you know, as any human being with faith, I think we should just look forward and do our best to, you know, help each other out. And, and keep you know, talking about it and keep moving on. And keep and sharing the story and the, yep. and the legacies, you know. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Cal. It was such a, I, I always have great chat with you all the time. I know, but it's the first time, time in a studio we've ever talked, which is wonderful. And so. then, you know, like, I, I, we do have, like, amazing conversation outside of the studio. Yeah. And it is the first time ever. Like, you know, and, yeah, like, you have such a big heart and you care so much about the community. <laughs> I think that's another reason why, like, you know, because I got, I got so busy with my life these days and I want to narrow down my friend circle. But, you know, you, you're, you're one of those people that would love to keep around and, you know, like... Well, when we catch up all the time, oftentimes around food, no less. Exactly. We'll, well, be, we'll be doing well, the Bake Off Master Cal, Baker. Uh, Cal has been my human subject for my baking. And um, <laughs> so far, like he's still alive. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thing. Well, thank you so much. Thank and you. This is another episode of Trans POV Kitchen on Joy 94.9. This is Anastasia. Ciao. 
And that's it for another episode on Trans Beauty Kitchen on Joy 94.9. You can check us out on our Facebook page, Trans Beauty Kitchen, with space in between. Here's your host, Anastasia Lee, and I shall see you over the stove next time. Ciao.